You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, Brandon. Earning season is uh, almost upon us. I think we're almost. What, what is it? Next week that we start to see some uh, companies trickle in with their uh, yeah. their earnings. Just having a look at the earnings calendar. Um, yeah, it seems to all kind of start next week. Chipotle, Coke, Netflix, uh, airlines, Snapchat, Twitter. All kind of happening next week. So yeah, it's, it's that time, that time of well, that quarterly, that time of the quarter again. I guess <laughs> happens once once every three months. Is that yeah, all the uh, companies that we well that everybody follows reporting their reporting their earnings, and we get to we get to make a lot of content about it. <laughs> yeah, from our end, it's a good we? it's a good time That's of year. Always. It's a good time of year to be doing a podcast and or uh, a YouTube channel because uh, yeah, there's so much content you can kind of. Uh, draw on and uh, there's always little interesting things that are happening and announcements from companies that people don't expect and stock mm. prices go up they go down so it'll, uh, I don't know if yeah. you find if you find this with your YouTube analytics um, but I, I seem to be like every three months I'll have like a great month and then the next two will be a little bit less and then yeah. th- that third month will be good again <laughs> I think it's just in line because we've just got so much more to talk about um, when you know earnings comes around and and the 13 Fs are coming out. We get to see what all the big investors are buying and selling and that sort of stuff. It's ki- it's kind of funny how <laughs> it's ki- we're kind of like we've got all this information at once. We've got to make all this content. And then after that, it kind of fades away and we've got to actually make our own original content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, uh, I don't know. Being uh, being in the finance space on YouTube is uh, it's, it's very cyclical or seasonal. It's, uh, it's very up and down, very volatile. Yeah. So... Um, we yeah. kind of just have to <laughs> do our best to navigate that. But we've got a few different things to talk about. We've got uh, a story from uh, last week around Trump and uh, his battle with the uh, big social yeah. media giants. Bit of news out of uh, Robinhood and their initial public offering. Uh, Richard Branson did something fun earlier in the week and uh, some did. AMC news and some uh, US government bill spending news, which is always uh, always <laughs> <Hooray>. fun. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one I'm excited to talk about. <laughs> we just sent everybody to sleep just then. Oh, do you want to hear about this new bill that just went through? There's uh, some legislation updates. And, uh, we've got some interesting news about bonds today. <laughs> it's uh, like, oh, switch off. <laughs> no, so we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll start off with some exciting stories to get everyone awake in the morning, Saturday morning. <laughs> Well, I guess it's probably not Saturday morning for everyone listening to this. But anyway, we've got a bunch of stories to get through. Um, and before we get into that, I'll just go through our sponsorship for today. So today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So basically, you can pull in all of your trades either automatically from your broker. So you don't even have to do anything or you can do it manually if you want as well. And it will give you an accurate uh, picture of your overall portfolio's performance, including the capital gains, dividends. If you do dividend reinvestment plans for index funds or stocks, it will do all of those calculations for you. 
Also currency gains, which most people don't track. So um, if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies, then currency fluctuations can have a dramatic impact on the return of your portfolio. So you want to be tracking that. Um, and then the other thing that you can use it for is when it comes to tax time. So ShareSite generates up to 10 different reports that can be used at tax time to work out things such as your capital gains, dividend income, and more. At the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. That site spelled S-I-G-H-T, sharesite.com forward slash young investors. So use that link, sign up to a free plan, uh, or you can also use that link to get four months off a premium plan uh, if you sign up to a yearly subscription. So particularly if you're in Australia and New Zealand, tax time is upon us. It's not too late to uh, get your uh, portfolio and trades in order and using something like ShareSite um, mm. can save you a ton of time and even even money. Yeah. And uh, you can probably, uh, you may be able to use it as a tax deduction. Um, so, you can uh, talk to your yeah, accountant true, about actually. that as well. Yeah. Cost of managing your tax affairs. Of course. Exactly right. Yeah. Wish- Although I, I am not a tax accountant. So, maybe check with your accountant just to, <laughs> just to play it safe. <laughs> but I would imagine so. But anyway, check with your tax accountant. But thank you very much to ShareSite for sponsoring. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, want you to, um, I want you to start with this story, this, uh, this first um, story, yes. Richard Branson. What happened? Uh, did, you, did you see this? I saw a little bit of it. Yeah. Okay. I didn't watch the whole um, thing. It was awesome. I mean, I love space flight. That's like one of my, uh, not, not hobby uh, interests, I guess. Like, I, I don't know anything about rockets or anything like that, but- uh, I, I just love seeing all these achievements that are being made in the space industry, I guess. And we had another one this this week. We we're talking about uh, Jeff Bezos, how he plans to go up on the Blue Origin's New Shepard rocket. But uh, Richard mm. Branson beat him to it. First billionaire in space. <laughs> <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> uh, was so, was yeah. he always planning on, on going before Bezos or did he just like sneak that in? Like, well, be- Branson has always wanted to go to space. That's been like right. a long dream, long-term dream of his. So he was definitely going. Um, right. But I'm not sure about whether he, um, you know, whether he saw Jeff was going up and he went, "Whoop! I better get in first. <laughs> but um, I tell you what, he probably did a smart thing getting a first mover advantage and actually being the first one because there's just so many, so much media, at like crazy yeah. amount of media. Um, but anyway, we'll get to that. So, what did he do? Uh, So, he is the founder- Richard Branson, we're talking about. uh, Sir Richard Branson, actually, Mm. is the founder of uh, Virgin Galactic, which is a publicly traded uh, space tourism company, uh, if you're interested in checking it out. Uh, And he founded it with the intention of building a rocket system that could take people up to the brink of space. They can experience weightlessness. They can look out the windows and look down at our Earth. Um, and then they can fly back down and have this awesome space tourism experience. Mm. Um, so, they've been working on this rocket and the, the rocket itself is, yeah, imagine like a normal plane structure. You've got your cabin, your two wings out the side. This plane looks bizarre. It's like three planes in one, <laughs> right? So, you've got two wings and then you've got three cabins, one, two, three. So, what happens is- you. The, the tourists get in the middle cabin and then the whole thing flights. So, it takes off like off of a runway. It flies up. It's like I think it's like a two-hour flight. They get up wow. really, really high and then they're in this middle cabin. Then the middle cabin breaks off of the spaceship and it in itself is its own spaceship. It's got a rocket engine on it. 
it falls away from the from the main spacecraft, lights the rocket engine, and then just rockets up to space, like pretty much just a straight line up. They're not trying to get into orbit or anything, so they're not going horizontally. They're just going straight up, weightlessness for a bit, and then straight down. Wow. Um, so it was awesome. Anyway, they uh, so that that spa- that spaceship is called Unity. So Richard Branson he launched on the spaceship Unity. He got to the brink of space. It was all live streamed live to YouTube. So if he was going to blow up, we'd see it happen in live <laughs> in real time. Uh, luckily, Richard Branson did not blow up. Uh, yeah, it was like a two-hour live stream, and uh, we just got to see him rocket up, you know, float around in the ship, and then coast back down and and land back on land back on Earth, and 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 that was that. He experienced about three minutes of weightlessness. He gave a thirty-second speech or something about being a dreamer and how he encourages all the kids out there to do whatever. Uh, it was all very inspiring. Hamish, did you see it? Um, I I saw clips of it. I didn't watch the whole thing, and I didn't watch um yeah I, di- I didn't watch all that much of it. I'll be honest, I wasn't. That- too interested in this um, right okay i don't know i just uh i was kind of the person who was like oh that, that looks kind of cool looked at some three minute clips and then that's that's kind of uh, enough for me but yeah really uh really interesting um to to see it the the space space um ship looked yeah it's very strange um looking you're, you're right it's uh I, I was very confused by it <laughs> um, but uh yeah very interesting very good um i'm sure for uh the marketing for um not only virgin galactic but just yes. virgin in general yes and that's why i wanted to put this in the young investors podcast uh-huh. and i have i have actually made a video about this uh on my channel but i thought i'd bring it up here as well because i find it very interesting uh Beyond, like, Bezos and Branson both have these dreams of going to space. You know, it's a long-term goal of theirs. But they're also very clever business people. Like, they are some of the world's best business people. You can't deny that. Mm. Um, and there, there's something to be said. You know how, far, like, everything we see in the news is just SpaceX, SpaceX, SpaceX. Oh, look, they took, you know, astronauts to the space station. Oh, look, they've launched this satellite, that satellite into space. And then there's kind of these two other companies run by billionaires, Branson and Bezos. And they're kind of like, eh, you haven't really done much, have you? I mean, one of your rockets blew up, Branson, and then uh, Bezos, you guys haven't even reached orbit yet. So, you, you kind of get this over time in the media, because they always get, they shouldn't be, but they always are compared to each other. Uh, you end up getting this effect where it's always just SpaceX, SpaceX, SpaceX crushing all the goals. And you get these other two, which kind of just aren't going anywhere. Uh, so, I actually think this this in itself, this launch by Branson was, was such a good marketing ploy, just an mm. incredible marketing ploy to completely rewrite the media's perception of his company. Because, I mean, they've unfortunately, I think it was in 2014, their prototype blew up and it killed one of the pilots. Oh. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, it's, um, you know, this, this, this project has not been without loss and without setbacks and- um, and, you know, the media loves to get on negative news. So, I think this this is just such a smart advertising marketing strategy from Branson. Get up there, get all the eyeballs on Virgin Galactic, get the general public talking, not just the space industry, get the general public talking about it mm. and how the mission was a success, um, how everybody could tune in. I mean, the live stream has 7.8 million views. <laughs> so, um, it's done well. you know, I, 
Yeah, I think it's very smart. And it's at a time where, you know, you were seeing the the media get on top, like they were reporting how Chamath Palahapatiya, the chairman, completely sold out of his position in Virgin Galactic. You know, we saw ARK Invest, we spoke about on the podcast, ARK Invest completely divested from Virgin Galactic. So it's like just little things over time start to stack up against Virgin Galactic. But I think this is a complete reset, very smart marketing. Mm. Now everyone's on board. And it just quickly, if when- when this happened, I, I logged on to every single news site I could think of and every single news site had this story plastered on the front page. <laughs> I mean, how smart is that? Every every news site except Fox News, funnily enough. <laughs> but how, how, smart, how smart is that marketing? I mean, it has worked a treat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- Unbelievable! Do, what what, do, what does this company actually do? do? So they do they actually do anything beyond their their plans to to do what you described, which is have this no. like tourist. So it's just purely That's a tourist it. space. I th- I think I think it's just space tourism. Right. Okay. They've just put all of their energy into designing this rocket system that can get passengers to space. Okay. Uh, they're not trying to. I don't think they're trying to reach orbit or anything, which is obviously important for like space operational activities. Mm. Uh, I think it's just space tourism. Yeah. So that's actually quite different to something like SpaceX, right? Who oh, is, it's completely who is different. Actually, in in some ways, you would imagine you you could describe as um, being a li- little bit more um, a little bit more practical in in you know yeah. what um. How, the way they're generating revenue and services that they're yep. providing or so yeah it's kind of interesting um yeah mm. I, I don't know too much about these businesses except that uh that uh yeah i mean a lot of people like to speculate on their stocks yeah. <laughs> that's uh that's pretty much all i uh i, I know about that but very interesting yeah. when's uh bezos's uh flight must be uh i think it's in a Ooh, week or so i think right? that is in a week i think that's on the 20th or the 22nd maybe yeah it's coming up Let's have it's a coming look. up real Google soon Google search 20th of july oh so we'll be able to talk about it on next week's podcast we will we will that'll um, be a good follow-up yeah hopefully it goes well fingers crossed nothing uh um, no issues. <laughs> Uh-oh. Although, I mean, if something went wrong, I mean, he has stepped down as the CEO of Amazon. <laughs> Jeez, that would be horrific. Imagine- yeah. Oh, man. That's that's the opposite of good press. No, <laughs> as, as much as it's fun to joke about things like that petition we spoke about, I think last week or the week before where, yeah. um, you know, people are saying hopefully he doesn't come back and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, you always kind of, these things kind of always make me so nervous. Even when Red Bull does stunts, we spoke about Red Bull stunts, I think a couple of weeks ago as well. It, it always just makes me so nervous. I just think I just don't want to watch something go wrong. You know, mm, like that's that's, so that's true. the last thing I just want to see is like someone jumping out of s- space and then the parachute doesn't pull or something. So, yeah. 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 Anyway. So, yeah, I'm, I'm like that as well. I hate I hate watching things that could potentially go wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm absolutely. With even even like um, uh, like I hate listening to people sing the national anthem on live TV. <laughs> like, cause I'm just, I hate the cringe when yeah, they get the words the wrong or, or, you know, listening to the last post uh, on live TV and then they just stuff it up. Oh, even like live interviews. Sometimes I'm like, Oh man, I can't watch this because I feel so awkward when the interview becomes really awkward. <laughs> yeah. It's the worst. It's the worst. Um, so fingers anyway. crossed all things uh, go well and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Next week, speaking of um, speculative stocks, uh, AMC has been uh, diving over the past month or so. And um, I yeah, mean, I saw that. well, all of the stocks related to that whole 
uh, short squeeze meme stock mania, which uh, has kind of seemingly died down a little bit at the moment. Although uh, I kind of thought we uh, had had already finished it before uh, AMC shot through the roof. So um, these things kind of seem to go up and down, but. At the moment, um, uh, there was an article out of CNBC uh, that kind of just drew on what is happening with some of these businesses now. Um, so, AMC is uh, now 50% below its all-time high, so down quite significantly um, from where it was uh, a little wow. bit over a month ago, a couple of months ago. GameStop is also down 50% from its all-time high, also down 40% this month alone. So, um, particularly in the last few weeks, um, these businesses have, uh, have started to, to be uh, fallen out of favor with uh, retail investors. Mm. BlackBerry was another one which uh, wasn't spoken about in the article, but I was curious about because BlackBerry was one that a lot of people thought was going to really catch on as the next GameStop or the next AMC as being one that would get short squeezed. Um, it didn't quite um, squeeze as much as the other ones. That one is down 57% from its all-time high. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, the, the reason why we know about these businesses, I mean, they're relatively small companies, not doing very well, but we know about them because, um, of course, they became potential short squeezes by the Wall Street Bets Reddit community, which uh, finds stocks every now and then and, and decide that uh, <laughs> that they uh, want to go in together and uh, invest in <laughs> invest in these businesses. I haven't invest. Um, yeah, invest <laughs> very loose use of the term there. <laughs> but uh, I haven't I haven't had a look at Wall Street bets recently. I wonder what's uh, going on over there. Like what, yeah, I wonder what's wonder, cracking. I wonder, what wonder what they're looking at. I, I, I look over there every now and then. Most of the time, it's just memes and people kind of joking around. So, um, maybe there's nothing too exciting going on over there. But a lot of people just kind of showing screenshots of them being down and saying they're holding the line. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's basically just like uh, a misery loves company kind of scenario, isn't it? Yeah, it is a <laughs> little bit like, like that. <laughs> yeah, you just post your massive bets that you hope are going to make you rich, but never work out, and you, you're down like eighty percent. Then you post it on Wall Street bets, and everyone says, "Oh, mate, it's all right. I'm I'm the same. I'm down eighty <laughs> percent alongside you." Misery loves company. That's pretty much all it is. I wonder if uh, what is it. Deep effing value is is still uh, still still got his uh, still got his options contracts rolling for GameStop. Was that I think? Yeah, he was the yeah. he was the guy posting uh, on GameStop um, how he turned. He he did like daily updates of how he turned. I don't know something like fifty grand into four or eight million dollars yeah. or, or something something like that. But um, yeah, that, I remember that's really what got this whole thing going was watching his success and he posted about it every day and people were tagging on to that. Oh, maybe I can do the same. It, that's really what triggered that that big spiral. Um, and then all the stuff about, you know, sh we can short squeeze this, let's keep going. And then it just blew up to something enormous. Yeah. Really a bit um, of a lifetime, that one. 50,000 50, into- Yeah, I reckon. A few millions. Not something you usually do multiple times in your life, if ever. So- um, yeah. I'm sure he was very happy about that. <laughs> but, uh, no, but I, I kind of just wanted to see what was happening because AMC in particular, AMC was one of those sort of uh, meme stock businesses that were really proactive after the stock exploded and, and took advantage of the huge increase in the stock price. AMC, AMC stock is still up 1400% over the past year. 
Crazy. And uh, management really took advantage of that by issuing a lot of shares and, and raising a lot of capital, selling new shares to the public at their, those higher prices, being able to get a bunch of money in capital yeah. and and using it to, to kind of save their business for a little bit longer, which was dying really at the hands mm. of the, the pandemic. But I had a look this week. AMC is, uh, well, there's a bit of a... So prior to this week, AMC had submitted a a filing to the SEC where they were going to ask shareholders to allow them to issue another 25 million more shares. So, I think they currently have, oh. uh, I think they have about half, I think they have 500 million shares. So, it wouldn't be a huge raising compared to some of the ones they've done previously, but okay. um, they wanted to raise more shares. Most recently in June, they sold 11 million shares. So, they've kind of been frequently during 2021 raising more shares uh in june they were able to uh, raise a total of half a billion dollars so not a small raise at all yeah uh, i was just gonna say so they want to raise more money but i'm thinking like this amc is the theater chain correct so if they're gonna raise all this money i mean for me personally i uh, if i'm invested in a company Say I'm invested in Tesla, right? Which I am. <laughs> Don't just say I'm invested. I am invested in Tesla. But, you know, if, if they raise money, then, you know, yes, I'll get diluted. But I'm also like, okay, if you can explain to me why you're raising this money, where that money's going, so that I can make a decision as to whether I think it's smart, whether I think it's going to lead to you guys being more profitable in the future, then I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But I'm, I'm thinking like AMC's a theatre chain, like- if they raise money, what are they going to do? They're going to open more theaters which are already struggling, or are they trying to change it? Did they give any color or any flavor as to what what they're actually going to do yeah. with this money? Well, so they haven't actually said what they're going to do with it, but there's a couple of things that well, they kind of have in a way. So the most right. obvious way that they would spend the money is to pay down some of the debt that they have. So currently, they have uh. four point five billion dollars in net debt. Um, and deferred rent, so rent that they haven't paid yet. Um, so it's a significant liability that is is coming due, and they'll they'll need to pay that. They also had indicated that they were eyeing off a couple of acquisitions of other companies, which is kind of exactly what you just described. Um, that they would be buying more dying theaters. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean that that's kind of the their expansion plan, I guess, to t- capture more revenue. Um, and I mean, that's really all that businesses like this can do uh, because they're not going to, uh, it's very unlikely they're going to do anything within their theaters that's going to reverse the trend that's been going on for 20 plus years, which is less people going out to theaters and more people spending money on their own home entertainment setup, buying a bigger TV, buying better speakers and just having watching movies online through streaming platforms. That trend has been going on for a really long time. And I, I don't know if they could do anything to kind of stop that. Maybe they can slow it down or something. But um, mm. the only thing they can do is to grow then is to just buy other businesses and capture more market share essentially, even though the market itself is is shrinking. So, that's a couple of things they could they could do. But uh, I mean, even if they sold an additional 25 million in shares, you know, at the current price, let's assume a best case, then that could raise about another $800 million dollars 
they would still be in the multiple billions of dollars of debt and they're not a profitable business on a consistent basis. Yeah. So, um, you know, it still raises significant doubts about their ability to to survive over the long term, frankly. Mm. Um, but the story that happened this week actually was that the pro- pro- proposal was actually withdrawn from the SEC. So, it doesn't look like that specific $25 million, uh, 25 million share raising is uh, going to go ahead, but... Considering the stock continued to fall massively over the past month, I think uh, investors know that there's more raisings that are coming. Um, Yeah, it's it's very likely that they're going to need to raise more. And um, I don't know. I (laughs) investing in AMC to me is kind of like if you bought a pizza. Let's imagine there was like a pizza, right? And you bought a piece of it for five dollars, but they hadn't cut the pizza yet. Right, so you you want to invest in this company? Let's say you're going to hold it over the next five or ten years. They haven't cut the pieces yet, and when you bought that piece, you know you were promised a quarter of that pizza. It was going to get cut into four slices, but now it's getting cut into eight slices. And you're hearing of another raise; it's going to be cut into ten slices. So now you're at one in tenth mm. of this pizza. And at the same time, you're looking over at the table, and the pizza is actually shrinking as well over time. <laughs> yeah, they're they're actually That's a good they're analogy. actually losing and your piece still costs time. five bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't sell your piece for five dollars anymore. Um, yeah. So that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of what it's like. That's a great analogy. In, I love uh, that in AMC. You don't really have any idea what you're going to end up with if you hold it over the long term. And I think that's why the stock's mm. falling. So yeah, yeah that's my yeah, that's my perspective on that. Look, but yeah, no, I agree. And I, to be honest, I th- I think this is just going to keep fizzing out. I mean, you can't you can't stand up as an investor and say. Oh look! I think AMC is gonna uh, AMC is gonna come back. I think GameStop's gonna surge again. You can't say that. I mean, the only <laughs> thing you can logically say is, yeah, this is gonna fizz out at some point. Yeah, it's just y- yeah. I mean, yeah, it just uh, just doesn't look likely that this thing's gonna continue for very long. Yeah, there's there's a point at which you can no longer rely on people speculating. And I mean, at, at the end of the day, the business has to survive. It has to be viable. Absolutely. And if they can't pay their debts, it really doesn't. The, the speculation game is over at that point. Mm. Um, and it, I mean, it yep. will be well over before anyway, it gets anywhere near that because as soon as there's a hint that the, that, you know, they're in real trouble. Well, I mean, they're in real trouble now, but. Yeah, uh, but like dire straits. Yeah. As soon as it yeah. looks like they're really not able to, to pay those debts, then they'll be, uh, they'll be in big trouble, but maybe it won't come to that. Maybe they'll be able to raise capital. Maybe they'll be able to turn their business around. Who, who am I to, to uh, to be so negative on uh, on Gosh. AMC's business, you would not be well received on Wall Street bets, Hamish Hodder. <laughs> Maybe you should stay. Don't don't start posting there. Have you heard <laughs> of this Hamish Hodder guy? Gosh, what an idiot! <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Hey, should we move on? We got to talk about this Trump story. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll make this quick. I I know, guys. I don't like talking about the guy either. Um, but this one's kind of funny. We can we can kind of have a bit of a laugh. Um, this is the one that I. This is the only story we didn't get to last week, so I thought I'd chuck it in here. Um, so this is this is news from like just over a week ago, I think, a week and a half ago. Anyway, it says here, <laughs> Trump sues Facebook, Twitter, and Google. Oh my gosh! Good luck, Trump. Oh no. <laughs> 
Yeah. The article reads, former President Donald Trump took his fight with the three massive tech companies to court, filing lawsuits that legal experts say are all but guaranteed to fail, (laughs) (laughs) even as they rally Republican voters, fundraisers and donors. Trump revealed last Wednesday that he is suing Facebook, Twitter and Google, as well as their respective CEOs, Zuckerberg, Dorsey and Pichai, in class action lawsuits. The lawsuits were unveiled just over a month after Facebook decided to uphold Trump's ban from using the platform until at least January 2023. Twitter, Trump's preferred social media outlet throughout his one term in office, permanently banned him on the heels of the January 6th invasion of the Capitol by a mob of his supporters. Quote, we're not looking to settle, Trump told reporters <laughs> at Bedminster when he uh, when asked about the lawsuits. Quote, we don't know what's going to happen, but we're not looking to settle, he said. Um, so, the three lawsuits filed in federal court in Florida allege the tech giants have violated plaintiffs' First Amendment rights. It's okay, Trump. All Facebook, right. Twitter, and Google and don't want to settle either. <laughs> they just want to beat you, so... <laughs> yeah, I want to flex their muscles. Uh, yeah, former president of the United States. No worries. We got you covered, mate. Not so powerful now, are you? Um, but anyway, yeah, this is a classic. I mean, classic Trump in the news again. Um Also from this article, quote, I think the lawsuit has almost no chance of success, (laughs) end quote. Vanderbilt University law professor Brian Fitzpatrick told CNBC in a phone interview, the tech platforms are private entities, not government institutions, and therefore the plaintiff's claims about constitutional violations do not hold up, Fitzpatrick said. Quote, I think this is just a public relations lawsuit. And I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up with sanctions against the lawyers for filing a frivolous lawsuit. How funny is uh, that? That's great. I love how everybody is just like, what? No. Yeah. <laughs> you can't do like, that. Are you serious? Uh, one one thing that was interesting, I didn't realize that you can you you can get, you know, a fine or you can get can get some sort of repercussions if you file a lawsuit that is kind of a, a waste of a waste of time. I didn't realize that was a thing. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, it makes sense, but you know. Need to have, I'm uh, just surprised. I just didn't know that that was the case. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. No, I just, I just like that. I don't know. I mean, Facebook just fended off the federal and 48 states. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's what we're talking about. That. Um, and th- I mean, th- that case, <laughs> that court case, didn't even get started. The the judge would just Facebook was so good at defending that that they just threw it out before it even got started. They couldn't even prove that it was plausible that the the, the federal yeah. the US federal government couldn't even prove that it was plausible that Facebook was a monopoly and Trump thinks that uh his his lawsuit will have any other any better yeah. shot against all three of them with three <laughs> companies worth of resources. I find that kind of funny. It's pretty funny. They banned me because of uh, because of their rules and uh, and I'm not happy about it and I think that's unconstitutional. <laughs> Uh, good luck, Trump. Good luck. Good, no, no, not good luck. I, I do not hope this goes through. <laughs> anyway, um, interesting. Very interesting. Um, all right. That's all. That's really all I had to say about that news story. Should Shall we move on into into something else? Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to go through this Robin Hood story? Robin Hood, um, when's their IPO supposed to be? Is it? Do we have a- I don't think they've put a date on it yet. We haven't got yet. a date for it yet? Yeah. No, not yet. 
hopefully we'll get that soon. I actually did a, I actually read through their S1 file after we spoke about it uh, a little bit last week on the podcast. Oh, yeah. I read through and, and, and looked at some of the, uh, went deep into some of the payment for order flow stuff, which is actually pretty interesting. Um, but anyway, different topic. This one, this topic we're talking about today is a new story that just came out saying Robinhood reserves 20 to 35% of its IPO shares for its own customers, mm. which I thought is interesting. I mean, you know, could, could work out in their favor. I mean, they are a uh, brokerage platform, so it's kind of an interesting uh, <laughs> like loop that they're in. They're IPOing, but they can offer the share. Anyway, um, so it says here, if you invest through Robinhood, you may get early access to shares when the company goes public. The online brokerage is reserving 20 to 35% of shares to be sold in an initial public offering for its customers according to its most recent regulatory filing. Typically, smaller investors must wait until shares start trading on an exchange, and at that point, they may be paying more than those who got in early. The average first-day return for IPOs last year was, get this, Hamish Hodder, get this, the the average first-day return for IPOs last year was 41.6%. Oh, God. Yeah, we're in a bubble. Run. <laughs> yeah, that is insane, isn't it? 41.6% on average in a day. You can No wonder everybody was talking about IPOs. Um, anyway, that's according to uh, data from IPO expert Jay Ritter, a finance professor at the University of Florida. It says here, Robinhood's early shares for customers would be available through the app's own IPO platform. SoFi Technologies is another financial technology company that now allows individual investors to get in on new f- offerings. Um Still some things to consider, according to IPO expert Jay Ritter, a finance professor at the University of Florida, as I just said. He says, for starters, even if you're able to to, uh, request shares early, it doesn't mean you'll receive the amount of shares that you actually want. Mm. Generally, the more demand there is for any given IPO, the harder it is to get your uh, hands on shares. So, he says, if uh, many of Robinhood's 18 million clients want to buy shares, they will only receive a few shares per account. He also notes the importance of reading the company. S1 filing and not going in blindly thinking that all IPOs will go up. That's actually legit. That's like some of the pointers they had in this CNBC article. It was like this professor of, of uh, you know, uh, University of uh, Finance Professor, University of Florida says, make sure you read the S1 filing. Like if you're a Robinhood user, at least read the S1 filing uh, you, and don't think all IPOs go up. No, you just know <laughs> nobody reads that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe like 5%. Ten percent of people who are uh, who who invest in these IPOs or, or in any business at all reads like goes through and actually reads a full annual report or an S one filing. So yeah, so true. It's pretty funny. No, but um, it is interesting that I mean, of course, because there's a limited number of shares that they're selling at a fixed price. It's not yet in the open market when you're in going into an IPO, so you can't. You know, there isn't always shares available to you. The price doesn't just adjust based on you know supply and demand. There's a fixed number of shares that they're selling. Um, and uh, they're selling it at a fixed price. So, there's a, there can be a shortage if mm. there's a lot of interest. Um, so, it is interesting to see that they're, they're doing this um, and giving retail um, investors access to this IPO, which is, um, yeah, it's uh, sometimes retail investors don't have access to, to these kinds of offerings. So, very interesting. Mm. I think it'll be interesting. I, I wanted to get your take on this because I, I kind of see it as smart business for, for Robinhood. They know that they're a brokerage platform. They can offer, like, they can do this. Like, that is part, that's like what their business is about, brokerage. Uh, you know, we can offer IPO shares. We can actually do this. So, you know, if we can then 
offer our own IPO shares to our users. I mean, surely that can only help boost buying, right? Um, mm. You know, you get more retail speculators on board. I mean, it's got that um, that kind of sales smell to it because it's kind of like, oh, limited time. You know, you've got to get in before the IPO, which is this date. Otherwise, you know, this is a special offer. It's got all those kind of mm. those smells of a say, like the sales tactics, like you know, like oh, limited offer. You know, we're offering you something uh, something that other people can't access, but only for a limited time. <laughs> um, might make money in the process. So, yeah. what do you think? You think this is smart by Robin Hood? I yeah, think it's definitely. smart strategy. Uh, I wanted to get your take. Yeah, on I, I definitely think it is. And imagine if there's a lot of people, a lot of retail investors who want to access the IPO and come out of it with, you know, far less shares than they requested or even no shares. Um, it could it could lead to a lot of retail investors believing or, or um, seeing that there's a lot of demand to invest in, in mm. Robinhood pre-IPO and therefore more people may be likely to invest after the IPO. Um, and of course, for a business like Robinhood, a new business that I, I I don't believe they're profitable, right? Or maybe if they are, they're you know, very limited. Oh, it's like break even. Yeah. Very limited profitability. They are a company that, of course, they're going public as well. They just want access to as much capital as possible so that they can grow as quickly as possible. And how do they do that? Well, they want to attract as many investors as possible, even if they're speculators, so that the stock price can go as high as possible and that they can sell more shares in the future. Because, um, you know, new businesses, I don't know what Robinhood's plans are after IPO, but it's very likely, like most new unprofitable businesses, they will continue to sell more shares. If, especially if the stock is really, really expensive. So, um, yeah, when a business needs capital to function, when they're not, it's not kind of a, a, a business model that works on its own yet or to a big extent yet, or they have big growth plans, they want as many people as possible to speculate on the stock so that they can raise more capital. Um, so, yeah, very, uh, very smart move, I think. And uh, we'll have to, we'll have to, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> Haven't hey, said hey, that yeah. before. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've got this interesting side note oh, yeah. um, that, that came up from this article that actually showed these statistics. This data, these uh, this data in the in the article uh, it says the the article shows so far this year there have been two hundred and fifteen new listings. Oh my God. So that's just in two thousand and twenty one. And that's nearly as many as the two hundred and eighteen IPOs in two thousand and twenty. So, we've almost got the same number of listings this year versus the whole of 2020. Yeah, that's not good. That's, uh, How crazy is that's, that? That's quite, that's quite concerning. Yeah. I mean, we just this- came out. We're still in a pandemic. Oh, I know. I, I am just perplexed every single day that I wake up and I just see that the stock market is higher, that stocks are higher, that things, mm. you know, it's just, I don't, I don't know. I'm just amazed. The truth, Hamish Hotter, is stranger than fiction. I, I thought um, we would still be struggling economically. A, what, 12 months after <laughs> after yeah. we started? the uh, Something that's like a, a one in a century event. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it is, is kind of crazy. I was looking at inflation numbers yesterday. I was just curious and I was putting together a video as well. Um, inflation this year so far in the US has been 3.7%. And at the start of the year, the expectation for the entire year was 2%. So, wow, that's kind okay, of another yeah. thing where, uh, yeah, I mean, all of this is kind of just showing how hot the economy is running right now. And when the economy is running hot, 
people want to list their businesses and, and get access to, to all of the huge mm. amount of money that's flowing around the markets. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It says the this is the this will be the busiest year for IPOs since 2014 where there was 274, but you can okay. imagine on current pace it's going to crush that. Oh yeah. Um but yeah, what what you're saying is exactly right. Um this this is when everyone's cashed up this and this is a sign this is actually one of like the unofficial signs that you're in a bubble is when there's just a a heap, a heap of new listings. Yeah. And it's because, um, it, it, like, it's not a scientific fact or anything, but the logic behind it makes sense, as you were describing. All these people that want to take their private companies public, they want to do it at the best possible time where can, they can get the most bang for their buck. You know, everyone's paying a high price for everything. So, you can sell less shares for a higher price or say, sell the same amount of shares for a higher price and raise more money in the process. So, you definitely, you keep an eye on this IPO data and it does kind of, it just generally tends to line up when the IPOs are extremely common, that's seemingly when the stock market is in that bubble territory because it makes sense to take your private company public when we're in bubble territory because you can just raise so much money. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly right. And that's what we're seeing with, sorry, that's what we're seeing with the capital raises at the moment as well. Definitely. Everybody's trying to raise, some companies are raising capital because they have to, um, because they're in strife. But a lot of companies are just raising capital because their stock is just at all time highs, you know, and they can just raise a, a lot of cash. Yeah. Money is extremely cheap right now, both when raising shares and debt. Debt is extremely cheap, you know, it's very, very low interest rates at the moment. But raising equity is also very cheap because because everything is so expensive and prices are so high businesses can sell a small amount of their ownership, a small percentage of, say, a founder owns 100%, they could sell 10% of their business at a really high price. And that means they're mm. able to get a lot of money really cheap in terms of equity. So, yeah, it's uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting uh, it's interesting time. We'll, we'll continue to, to watch and, and, and see what happens. I would just be, uh, I don't know, I, I'm... A lot of the time, I'm surprised with what happens in uh, in markets, right? I, I didn't expect last year to happen. I didn't expect it to end so quickly for the stock market, at least, and to be whatever the stock market is, 30% higher than pre-pandemic levels or something ridiculous yeah. like that. Yeah. So, you can never know what's going to happen. You can only just watch it and and kind of get the popcorn out and, and enjoy the yeah, ride exactly. is, uh, is the yeah. way to go about it. You describe it as interesting. Uh, I'm calling it flat out bonkers. <laughs> um, terrifying is another right. word. <laughs> Sorry, terrifying. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot of lot of descriptors you can put on that. Anyway, let's <clears throat> uh, should we move on? That's all we've got to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I think the, the last story, yeah, I think the last- Ta- Tell us about our, our, our beautiful uh, US Democrats $3.5 trillion bill. Um, and if you can make it as boring as possible, that would okay, be, uh, that'd right. be appreciated. We're, having, we're, we're just having way too much fun at the moment. Okay, right. I think we'll we really need to just yeah. bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> the US Democrats this week released the framework <laughs> for a $3.5 trillion bill. Yeah, say it like a bored news reporter. I can't even <laughs> I do love that. that. As expected, the Democrats are continuing to push for more spending in lots of areas. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, imagine if we just came out and did a full podcast like that. Do you reckon our viewership would just like fall off a cliff? I think it probably yeah, would. <laughs> I'm pretty sure some people would click off that. I don't think. 
Oh, anyway, dear. sorry. No, let's, but, let's, all right, tell me about this bill. Yeah, I mean, well, the headline caught me. And I mean, whenever I see, you know, a huge number like $3.5 trillion, I, I always think two things. Wow, that's a lot. And then is that really a lot? Like, I, I don't actually know yeah. what's a what's a lot for a, uh, for a budget, but... Um, this week, we got to see the Democrats' uh, bill for, well, their framework for their bill. They haven't put together the bill yet, but the the framework for how they're planning to spend money in uh, in 2021, their entire, or it must be, uh, I don't know when this budget is actually for, whether it's, um, maybe, maybe it's for, for over the 12 months from when they, they push it through. But um, the reason why it's in the news uh, particularly is because it's only, it's the second largest deficit um, that will be created if it does go through uh, only second to 2020, which kind of makes sense because uh, 2020 was like was pandemic year. It made sense that they had to do a significant amount of spending. But um, this year is uh, close behind it to the second largest deficit since uh, or would be since uh, 1945. Interestingly enough, in the article, uh, uh, Bernie Sanders proposed a $6 trillion bill, <laughs> but uh, the centrist uh, Democrats didn't really go for, go for that one. But um, yeah. I, I just thought that was, that was funny that they put that in. Bernie Sanders with his Jeez. twice as high bill, that would have been uh, a, uh, a, a record bill. But yeah, they, they basically gave a summary of some of the things they're, they're planning on, in, on, on spending money on. Uh, some of the things from the the list here, free universal preschool for three and four year olds, free community college for all students. Um, okay. uh, what else have they got here? They extended the $1.9 trillion COVID stimulus plan uh, for lowering health insurance premiums um, for, for those who can't buy coverage on their own. And they extended the child right. tax credit expan- expansion uh, that was included in the COVID relief bill. So, some of this is kind of just taking what was in the COVID bill um, from earlier in the year and just extending it on, basically saying, yeah, we did these things, you know, during as COVID relief, but we think they're good initiatives that we should continue to, to okay. spend money in that way. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, what does this mean for investors? I, I won't spend too much time going through this because I know it's really dry, but really, I think the key thing to think about when it comes to what this means for investors is it's, I mean, it's not necessarily good or bad for governments to spend more money, but when they do spend more money, the concern that we should think about is whether it's going to create inflation, right? Um, mm. The current US debt is uh, $28 trillion. So, that would go well above $30 trillion um, if this was to go through. Interestingly enough, I, I actually didn't know this, but $22 trillion of that debt is held by the public. So, the vast majority mm. of that debt's held by the public. And, you know, why is that a concern? Why is someone like Ray Dalio concerned about um, how much debt that's held by the public? Well, if the public starts selling those bonds, um, which could happen because as inflation rises, the returns on those bonds, you know, gets worse and worse. It can even go negative. Um, if the public starts selling those bonds, then the Federal Reserve has to kind of step in and and print a bunch of money to fill that demand gap. Um, at okay. the moment, the Federal Reserve is spending $80 billion a month on printing money and buying government bonds to fill the g- demand gap because the government is spending so much money and, and needing to take on more and more debt to do so. But right. if you know a significant portion of that $22 trillion that's held by the public starts to be sold off as well, then the Federal Reserve needs to spend even more money, print even more money to, to, to stop uh, interest rates rising. And that's where inflation can kind of get out of hand. So, 
That's what Ray Dalio has been talking about. He recently released a, an interview that he did on um, Bridgewater Associates um, YouTube channel. So, you can check out that interview if you're interested or you can check out my YouTube video where I uh, I went through yeah, it. I saw that one. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's what Ray Dalio is really concerned about right now is this monetary, this idea of monetary inflation and uh, whether, we'll, uh, whether we'll see mm-hmm. that in a big way. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't... Do you have anything to kind of say on that? I, I don't really... Yeah. It's kind of dry. I, it's it's something that's yeah. I don't know. There's not too much to say about it. Yeah, I don't think I could add anything that would be particularly of value. Um, macroeconomics is definitely not my jam. Um, I mean, it's good. It's good to follow. And yeah, I I think just on a broad level, I think every you know Ray's right, and something we've been following as well on our channels is 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 watching what inflation's doing because you're right uh going back to what Warren Buffett said in his uh in Berkshire's uh what was it uh, annual uh, shareholder meeting you know when talking about economics he's saying you can't just do one thing in economics you have to do something and then ask okay now what like what's going to happen like with yeah. it's it's like scales you know you put something on one side and then it changes the other side and economics is always like that um, you can't just get away with doing one thing. It's not just like, oh, we'll just we'll just print two trillion dollars, and then it's that's that's that. You know, there's always a consequence with economics. So, I think it's just important. You know, you you never really base your investment decisions off the, off this sort of stuff, but it's just important to kind of you know vaguely keep track of um, and understand what the concerns are. Like we're concerned about inflation with all this money printing, and just keep a track of what's what's going on there. Uh, just keep yourself, I guess, well educated. Um, just in the know so that nothing catches you by surprise. I guess. Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't really have anything to add uh, specifically to this story in particular. All right. Um, should we should we jump into some Q and A then? Because we've got. Uh We've got a few. We've still got a bit of a backlog. Okay. Um, but as always, if you guys do have further questions or even news topics that you want us to cover or as we're coming up on earnings season, if you have companies um, that are reporting earnings um, that you want us to maybe take a look at, uh, make sure you head over to the YouTube version of the podcast at youtube.com forward slash the young investors podcast. Just click on the latest episode and uh, leave your questions or topics as a comment below the latest episode. Um, mm. All right. Where should I go? I'll read. Maybe I'll read this one to you. Can I read this one to you? This, uh, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. So, um, okay. This question is, there's a family controlled company I really like. However, doing uh, during my research, I saw there was a massive lawsuit among family members. The CEO and chairman are children of the founders and they were sued by their own children. <laughs> <laughs> is this something to be wary of? Uh, the stock is uh, ROL, if that helps. Right. So, the CEO and chairman are children of the founders and they were sued by their own children. Oh, okay. So, it's like, yeah, it's this family, it's this whole family feud thing. Well, I mean, you know, it's it's something it's something to be wary of for sure. It's something to, uh, you know, it's not necessarily a, a deal breaker, I, I would say, but it's just you want to you wanna understand what's going on. Um, that's really the key. Like, the key to- the key to everything, I would say there's a, there are a few things that are deal breakers, but even things that seem like deal breakers can often not be that bad as long as you understand why that situation 
is occurring. Hmm. Um, you know, for example, uh, geez, I don't know. It's like a, a, a company takes on a, a bunch of bunch of debt or something. I mean, if, if your debts get too high, that's not good. Um, you'd say, oh, that's a deal breaker. But, you know, if if they clearly explain exactly where that money's going and they're printing money at their stores at the moment and if they open 10 new stores, then they're going to print 10 times the amount of money, then it's just like, okay, well, may, maybe that's, that's, a, that's a good argument. So, there's always these things and that's what we always say. We have these kind of rules of investing, I guess. But when we look at a company, there's always things that don't go to plan. You know, mm. you never get that company that just ticks every single box. Um, so, I think it's just a matter of, it's not not so much a deal breaker. It's more just something that you need to understand. Uh, like, I, I'm not even sure what this company is. So, I'm, I'm not sure of the context of this, you know, this lawsuit. But, you know, it definitely throws a spanner in the works if it's a family controlled company and they're, you know, the manager, I guess they're the management and the management are now feuding and, you know, lawsuit among fam- family members. I mean, you just got to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Um, and whether it will materially impact the company, it, whether it will impact the management's ability to grow the company, whether it will impact who the managers of the company actually are, um, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's just like a silly little thing, like the children are running the company better than ever before. And I don't know, they're suing their, their father because he's a corrupt you know, <laughs> prick or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> it definitely depends on the context of the specific story. And I think ultimately you need to make a judgment. This all comes into assessing management's integrity, whether you trust the management team. So ultimately you just kind of need to make somewhat of a subjective but rational decision about whether you trust the management team. And I can give you an example of of something similar to this, but not really. So, I, okay. I was looking at a company called um, National Beverage Corporation and um, they own, uh, what's the company? LaCroix. They own LaCroix, which is uh, a yeah, very, yeah, very yeah. popular um, uh, what, sparkling water brand or flavored yeah, sparkling yeah. water brand now. Um, and the company had performed extremely well recently. Um, but when I looked into the CEO and it, it's a family run company as well, um, I found nothing kind of, um, no like lawsuits or anything, but there was a lot of comments that former employees had said about the potential that there's being fraud committed within the company. And look, fraud is one of those things where I know that I'm not going to be able to look at a balance sheet or look at annual reports and know whether uh, someone is manipulating the numbers. Mm. That's just something I'm not going to be able to do. So, the fact that there had been a couple of accounts of that, I have no idea if it's true. Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm missing out on a good investment because of it. Because, but because it created a level of uncertainty that I wasn't comfortable with and that I felt as though I couldn't identify whether fraud was happening or not. Um I, I decided to leave that company and not look at it anymore. So, yeah, that's kind of me making a judgment, just thinking, you know, it, there's a level of uncertainty here that if there is fraud happening, the investments are probably going to go to zero. So, that's you know, that's a big uh, that that's a that's a big thing to consider. And I, I felt as though yeah. I, I um yeah I, there was too much uncertainty there. So I think you just got to take it on a case by case basis and and kind of uh, understand the circumstances. And if you're not sure, then uh, yeah, just leave it. There's plenty of other businesses that you can look at. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yep, I, I definitely definitely agree with that. 
All right, let's move on. This one here. Okay. Uh, what method do you guys use to determine the discount rate you should use for a company's intrinsic value calculation? Mm, that's a really good question because there's uh, a lot of different. Uh, there's a lot of different opinions on this. So I can give you my opinion, and I'll also give you the what traditional finance um, institutions will do and, and what you would learn if you went to university, for example. So what I do personally is um, I set the discount rate at the target return that I personally want to make. Um, and uh, that makes sense because the cash flow that I'm putting into the discounted cash flow, so the cash flows that I'm actually discounting um, are reflective of how much cash is being returned to us as shareholders. So that's Warren Buffett's owner's earnings figure, or I call it cash flow for owners. Mm. If you study finance at university, they will not do that. They will use something called the weighted average cost of capital. And this is basically an average um, or a ratio of the cost of the debt for the company and the cost of equity. Now, the cost of the debt, that makes sense because there is a cost associated with debt. It's the interest rate that's associated with the debt, mm. right? And that makes perfect sense that you would want to discount at that rate to determine, um, well, particularly it makes sense if for businesses doing internal investments because they want to make sure that the, the investment that they're making, the project they're undertaking is going to deliver more than the cost of debt, for example. But under yeah. the cost of equity, you then start to get into using things such like the CAPM, such as the CAPM model, which basically, in a nutshell, not really, but in a nutshell, it's coming up with an, a guess for how what return the market wants to achieve on that particular stock. And to me, that doesn't make any sense. To me, it makes no sense to assess the, uh, the cost of equity as some you know market figure based on the price movements of the stock when <laughs> we are the equity when you're the person investing in the business you're the person mm. putting money into the business so in my view it makes more sense to to focus on um the return you personally want to make um for, from the business so that's kind of the two ways that um i think a lot of people go about it how, how do you what's what's kind of your uh, your process for this brandon yeah, I just grow grow the cash flows, um, discount them to what they're worth today based on fifteen percent. Based on me wanting to re yeah. return fifteen percent per year, uh, that's that's literally it. I mean, it's pretty pretty straightforward. Um, yeah, uh, the the way I see it is that you know if I discounted by any less than fifteen percent, then I may as well just buy you know an ETF and be done with it. Um, so yeah. yeah, discount by fifteen percent, and if I if I get that each year, I'll be happy and compounding my money well. So that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean the, <laughs> the weighted average cost of capital works really well for internal investments that businesses make, um, because yes. yeah, you're you're true. talking about a fixed project. Maybe it, they're they're building a certain a new restaurant or something, and they're running calculations on this, and they have to use you know they they're funding it with forty percent debt. And 60% from a group of private shareholders who have said that they're aiming to make this certain return. Or maybe that's the, the, there's a particular return that um, has been um, not promised, but um, 
has been kind of uh, used as a benchmark yeah, to, to, around, get, to yeah. get those investors on board. In that case, it makes sense because you can run the calculation. Okay, using 40% debt, 60% equity, we need to get a 12% return for the shareholders. We need to get, uh, we need to cover a 4% cost of debt because that's the cost of the loan, blah, 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 blah. You can calculate whether a project is worth doing or not. But when you're talking about a stock market investment, it doesn't really make any sense to do it that way. It makes much more sense to assess it um, as if the cash flows are coming only to you, as if you're buying the whole business. It's the way Warren Buffett talks about it. Um, and uh, what return would you want to make? And that's the rate at ri- which you should be discounting those cash flows. Mm. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. That uh, I agree. <laughs> All right, shall we wrap things up? Yeah, let's wrap it up there for today. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in as always. And uh, as I just mentioned, if you have more questions or topics, head over to the YouTube version of the podcast and uh, leave them there. We've uh, we've still got a couple to get through, but we are getting through them. So we still need more questions to come in uh, every single week. So if you do have them, we, uh, we appreciate uh, you uh, leaving them. And um, yeah. Also, if you have topics as well. Um, thanks, Brandon, for joining me as always. All good, good fun. Yeah, and uh, thanks ShareSite uh, for sponsoring this week. Uh, head over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors and get four months off a yearly subscription if you're interested. But with all of that said, uh, we'll see you guys next week. See you later, guys. Bye-bye.